0: Hey, listeners, it's Brian. Before we get started with today's show, just wanted to give a quick uh, content heads up. Um, Around the 50-minute mark, or just before the 50-minute mark, there's a brief conversation around a community response to a sexual assault case. Just wanted to let people know so they can choose whether to listen to that uh, portion or not. Again, it's around the 50-minute mark. Um, If you have chapter support in your podcast player, you can kind of just skip ahead to the next section. Uh, Otherwise, you can just scroll ahead to around 53 minutes, and then we'll be into our into our outro. And here's the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hosler, founder of Strong Roots Consulting based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Carolyn Kamen, an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC, coming to you from unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil Tooth Nations Territory. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators.
0: This podcast is for everyone, expert or novice, longtime practitioner, or just starting in the field. Even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, This week, we're joined by David Kais. David is an independent consultant based in Oregon. He's been a second grade teacher, a faculty member in anthropology, and a researcher at a community foundation. Uh, Today, he helps foundations use high-quality data visualization to increase their impact and also provides online training through his website, R for the rest of us. Uh, So welcome, David, to the podcast.
2: Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you.
0: Great. And before we go any further, uh, as we record this, tomorrow is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. So I've got a bad pun to share. (laughs) So what tool do pirates use to help evaluate their strategies, calculate the distribution of the booty and present their key findings to internal and external
1: stakeholders. (laughs) (laughs) I told you it was
0: a bad pun, but can
1: I just put it out there that the distribution of the booty is definitely going to be bimodal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would just love to see some graphs, like a pirate, you know, creating graphs and, and, and showing his or her work and all that. So, but anyway, welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, we should have warned you ahead of that uh, ahead of time about this but uh but you're in it now so but uh why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about um about your work with R, a little bit about the platform for those of us who aren't familiar with it
2: sure um thanks again for having me and and i'll uh, jump into that in a second. I will say, just to add to um, the joke that I didn't know was coming, um, there's actually a, an online uh, like ebook called A Pirate's Guide to R, which has a lot of those puns. So if you are a fan of, of that joke, um, definitely look that up. Uh, and R users in general are very, um, they're big fans of puns. Um, the, na- the name of the software R lends itself really well to puns. Um, so yeah, let me just give you kind of a background uh, on R. Um, most people think of it, and, and it is basically a replacement for uh, proprietary software um, to do data analysis. Think, think of things like SPSS, SAS, Stata. Um, if you use Excel for your data analysis, R is a replacement for that as well. Uh, our, the one thing people know about it is it's completely free. It's open source software. Um, and that, I mean, for a lot of people, of course, that's the reason why they want to learn it. That's definitely a big reason why I wanted to learn to use it. Um, I will say it, in addition to doing all the things that those other pieces of software do, which I know we'll get into R actually has a, a ton more capabilities, I think than other pieces of software. Um, so it's really diverse. I mean, people know it for data analysis, but there are all sorts of other um, types of of work that you can do with it that I'm sure we'll talk about. Does that give you a sense of kind of what it is or are there particular things I could go into um, to give you more of a sense?
1: I'm just thinking like when I, um, I think I heard about R for the first time maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, I would have still been in grad school working. For me, it was with SPSS. Um, and yeah, I would say like my impression of R and what it is, it was like, oh, it's, it's like statistical software, but it's, um, open source and my perception of, it was also, um, when I started to see some of the interfaces or how people were using I'm like, oh, that looks very complicated. I don't know. Um, if I like, it, it looked quite intimidating.
2: So I will say, well, a couple things, um, In the last, um, well, definitely since, you know, seven or eight years ago, R has come a long way um, in terms of usability. Um, You, I don't know, when people think about R, there's kind of the core R software itself, which um, really just looks like a terminal window. So think of like, um, you know, if you see any movie and you see, um, you know, a version, a movie version of a hacker, you know, typing things. <laughs> um, that's what the kind of R, um, the core R software itself looks like. There is now um, what is called R Studio, which is um, an interface that that sits on top of the core R software that makes it much much easier to use, um, and it gives you all sorts of, you know, it gives you, it shows you kind of like what files you have access to, all that type of thing where the R software itself really just is like a, um, a text-based editor that's not user-friendly. Um, that said, R... I mean, I would be lying if I said it's not... You know, it's, it's challenging to learn. Um, it, it, it is entirely code-based, um, and that is intentional. I mean, I think there might be some kind of point-and-click interface for R, um, but the kind of philosophy underlying R... Um requires it to be code based because when you write code, then you can reuse your code and you know recreate um analyses that you've done, that type of thing so yeah, I mean it is still challenging, but I think if you took a look at it again, um it would probably be there there are much easier options to learn it now than there were seven or eight years ago.
0: mm mm-hmm. that benefit of uh, being able to to copy and and reuse kind of code and adapt it for if you're doing more kind of uh, repetitive analysis, that reminds me when I was using SPSS um, on one project years ago and, you know, was, uh, SPSS has a syntax uh, editor, I think. And that's kind of, it sounds like that's similar Where it's, um, I mean, SPSS has a, a pretty, well, maybe not pretty, I, that's probably going too far. It has a graphical interface with point and click, um, but you can kind of delve into more of the code and then use that as a, way to more easily repeat or do multiple calculations it sounds like but um, aside from that kind of benefit what are some of the the reasons for um, for folks to kind of consider delving into that uh, that kind of code interface and and using a tool like R?
2: Sure um, well I will say just to actually pick up on what you were just saying Brian that um, coding based process is is so key to what R is. And you're right, that other tool, you know, SPSS has that SAS um, data can, you know, you can use um, the syntax uh, versions, um, as well as, you know, them having point and click versions. Um, R is so big on reproducibility and I will say when I first started learning R, I got confused because like I come from anthropology. I don't I'm not you know, a hardcore coder. I'm not a, a hardcore quantitative person. And I heard reproducibility and I was like, OK, well, that's for like, you know, biologists who want to you know, reproduce, like replicate each other's experiments to like, make sure it works. Um, but what I realized is that's really not the case. Um, it's really about, you know, like you said, being able to reproduce work that you've done And the one thing that R has that I don't think any other tool um, that I've mentioned does is uh, um, it's called a a package. So there are kind of packages that like add on functionality. And there's a package called R Markdown, which enables you to combine code along with narrative text. So for example, you can write a report um, and have text and then what are called code chunks alongside that. And so then when you um, export your report, which is called knitting in R, it gets, um, the code gets what's called evaluated. So then, you know, if you have code to run an analysis or produce a graph, when you export it, it then combines the text that you've written explaining the graph alongside the graph itself. And the great thing is if you're doing, you know, say you're doing a report um, that you know you're going to have to repeat next year, you can basically just use that same R Markdown template and put in new data, just change, you know, a line of code early on uh, in your document and rerun your report. Um, and it's so, you know, in the end, I think it can save you hours and hours of time. Um, that is, I mean, it's amazing for me in terms of being not, be, you know, not having to redo all those analyses by hand.
1: Right, or hunting down to your Word document, you know, every single figure and and updating and and making sure you've caught every number that needs to be be changed or updated.
2: Exactly, because I mean, I'm sure you have both had the experience that I have definitely had where, you know, say, I mean, the typical workflow I think of for folks is like, maybe you do your analysis in SPSS, then you spit out a clean data set um, to Excel, you use that to make some figures, you copy those into Word, and then you write your report. But what happens if you realize, oh, wait a second, the uh, data that I was working with early on, there was some error with it, or I forgot to include a couple, you know, surveys or whatever it is, Um, then you have to go back and manually redo the whole thing. If you're working in R Markdown, it's no problem. You just put in the new data, rerun it, and it'll spit out the updated analyses. So I, I think that... I didn't appreciate that when I started learning R. I, I was like, I just want to you know, learn something to, for me, it was to, to get away from using Excel. Um, and there's actually a ton more benefits. It's not just a replacement for Excel or whatever other tool. Um, there are a ton more benefits in addition to being able to do what you can do in those other tools.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us more about like, what, what was it like for you when you first started using R? Like what, what's this trajectory? Because you've gone from someone who just started there. I just wanted to learn something so I could get away from Excel to now you like are running R trainings. You have the, the website R for the rest of us. Like this has become a, a big deal for you.
2: Yeah. Um, so I'll say my own learning process was uh, extremely scattered. Um, and I think part of me wanting to teach others was to help others not have such a scattered learning process. Um, Because as you identified before, you know, it can be really intimidating when you're starting out. And one of the um, pluses and minuses of R is that there are often multiple ways to do anything that you want to do. But then if you're a newcomer, how do you know, you know, which is kind of the quote unquote, the best way to do it? Um, There are without getting too much into the weeds, there are different kind of coding philosophies. Um, and there's one in particular, it's called the Tidyverse, um, which has a particular way of coding that I think is extremely user-friendly for, for beginners as well as for experts. Um, and I teach entirely using tidyverse. Um, just as an example, you know, if you've looked at code or SPSS syntax, sometimes you'll see the name of um, you know, some of the, the functions that you're running and there'll be, you know, like acronyms for things and you, you look at it and you're like, what is that? I can't remember the tidyverse, verse. Um, all of the function names are, um, it, are words in English. So for example, there's a function called filter. If you have a data set, and you want to, you know, only filter to show uh, folks who are over 50 years old, um, you would use the filter function. So it's a, just, a, it makes it much easier, I think, starting out um, to learn using that approach.
1: Mm-hmm. So where I'm, I'm curious about um, when I think about R and and potentially using R and I am, I'll, Disclose to the to our listeners. I guess I am signed up for your um, our workshop that's coming to Vancouver. I think in December, Mm -hmm. Um, because I have. So I heard about it, you know, quite a few years ago. And then I think last year or maybe two years ago, there was a project where uh, at the at the time I didn't have access to SPSS, which I had been through a a university contact for a while. Um, So I thought, oh, it's a perfect chance to sort of see to sort of test the waters and and figure out if I could use R. And I think I basically was Googling instructions and I was able to run like a T test and, and an ANOVA. Um, And I think it's, so. I I said before, you know, looking at R, I finding it intimidating, uh, which is true. I find that also strange because um, like Brian, you know, I prefer to use syntax when I'm using SPSS. I, I like interacting with that side of it rather than sort of, just trying to push buttons. I'd like to know what it is I'm getting the program to do. I actually have some programming experience. I'm familiar with SQL, with JavaScript, with Python. Um, Like I'm not an HTML. Like I'm not, it was weird to me that I found it kind of intimidating because I'm like, I should feel a little bit more comfortable. I've got a background in psychology. So I'm more more familiar with stats than um, evaluators who aren't coming from a quantitative background. And yet there's still kind of been a hesitation for me around like, do I really want to invest more time in R? And I wonder if the intimidation is is not because it looks more difficult than anything else that that I've done so much as like, oh, it seems like another, yet another thing to do.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah i mean that's definitely true um you know it definitely it it takes time Um, and people always ask me like how long how long is it going to take me to learn r um and i i don't know i don't to be honest i don't know how to answer that question um because how you use r can really vary from person to person um so you know well to to pick up on your experience and why you may have struggled. You know, R was invented, um, was developed by statisticians. Um, and for a long time, those were really kind of like the only users. And it's really in the last several years that its um, user base has widened. And a big part of that has come from trying to make it more accessible to folks. Um, you know, I think there, there has been um, in the past kind of, uh, an attitude among some R users that, hey, if you can't figure it out, like something's wrong with you, not not with the program. And that's obviously not a very helpful attitude, but there have been some changes in recent years, um, in particular, you know, the tidy verse that I mentioned before has come along and really kind of revolutionized our um, There's the company called RStudio, which makes the the RStudio interface that I talked about, has really put um, a lot of emphasis on making it more accessible for folks. So they have an education team, they produce a bunch of materials, um, that type of thing. Um, So I think there, you know, there are ways that it's become uh, more accessible, but but yeah, it has been a little bit challenging in the past. Sorry, Caroline. I actually forgot your original question. <laughs> I started answering part of it. No worries. I, You know what?
1: And I don't even know if it was a question so much as I was just saying, like, this is, I feel like this is where I've been coming at this because part of me has been interested in learning about art, but another part of me has just sort of been like, oh God, yet another thing to learn. <laughs> and it feels like there's this big learning curve. Yeah.
2: So the one thing I'll say to that is um, it's true. I mean, it's going to take you a little time no matter what. But the benefit of learning R is that you'll have it forever. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you worked on a project and then, um, you know, you didn't have SPSS access. Um, that's, that's a problem because, you know, if you want to um, ensure that you're going to have access to software, you're going to either have to, you know, find an affiliation with the university or pay thousands of dollars a year for access. Um, so learning R, it does take time up front. But for me, I think, you know, I think it's worth it because you I, I know that, you know, in five years, 10 years, it's going to be around and I'm going to ha- I'm going to be able to use it no matter what. So that's that's how I um, think about the time that it re- that is required to learn it.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I'm in a similar position too. where uh, I think I would like I haven't gone as deep as Carolyn has even. Um, but I think it's something where I see the value in it. And I think I've heard somewhere that, you know, best way usually to learn a new skill is to have something ready to apply it to. So I think there's been a couple times where it's like, hmm, like, can I use R for this project, but then part of me holds back in terms of I guess the uh, dilemma of do I spend extra time on this project and including like kind of troubleshooting to use this new tool and have be able to apply it or do i go stick with my old standby which for me predominantly is excel with all of its uh, its warts and, and issues for sure um so is there maybe um, uh, a question to you maybe is, is there kind of an equivalent of, you know, when people are learning programming, there's the the Hello World state um, uh, programming. That's usually one of the first things that you learn in programming is how to get the computer to display Hello World. Is there something like that for R, like a simple project or like an ideal project where it's kind of easy to to get into and just um, be able to, to have like a, a project just to kind of learn the interface or learn the, the language a bit, but not unlikely to find yourself in deep waters too quickly
2: like a low stakes project Low stakes, yeah that's an interesting question um nothing is coming to mind as a kind of like straight off the bat type thing um that said and this is like a little bit more advanced but there's um what's called the tidy tuesday project which is um there's a hashtag on twitter tidy tuesday and um it is every every week um there's a group who releases a data set into the um public and then uh everybody who wants to takes that data set does a- analysis on it and produces some kind of visualization based on it um so you know to to participate i mean you do have to have kind of the basics like you have to know how to read in data do a bit of um you know wrangling and analysis on your data and then produce of visu- visualization um, but it is a good way to get started um, if you have the once you have those things under your belt and the really nice thing too is people will post their code so you can see exactly how people produce other types of visualizations and, and you're you know if you do it you're familiar with the data set um, so it you can you know see it and and it'll make sense to you um, so that's the one thing that comes to mind but again you have to have kind of the the, the basics under your belt to really um, take advantage of that, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. No, so that sounds interesting. And uh, like you said, the fact that people share their code means you can kind of also get a chance a little bit uh reverse it in some ways. Oh, that's how they did it. I've got a similar problem or a similar project. If I tweak this or, or set it up that way, then I might be able to use it then for, for this project and not starting from
2: scratch necessarily. Yeah, completely. And that's, I mean, that's how I've learned um, a lot about, Uh, different types of visualization for the data visualization work that I do. Um, You know, I'll see people's code and then think, Hey, I can apply this to a project that I'm working on. And in addition to seeing kind of um, code, one really nice thing is you can um, the way R works the, is that there's kind of um, base R, which is like the, the kind of core software that runs R, but, because it's open source software, there are all these um, what are called packages, which all add you know specific functionality. And people will develop packages, for example, to make different types of visualizations. Um, so um, I know this is a podcast, so talking about visual things is a bit challenging. But um, <laughs> as an example, I learned how to make what are called ridgeline plots, and I can I can actually send you all a a link to this if you want to, if you do like show notes, that kind of thing. Um, But the Ridgeline plot um, is a really nice way to show distribution. And I never would have been able to do anything like that in Excel, but in R there's a package that makes it quite straightforward um, once you know the basics. And so you can really, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can really build on the work that other people do, um, which really, opens up um, possibilities. I mean, I never did data visualization consulting before I learned R. It was only when I learned it and realized that, um, you know, it empowered me to do all sorts of different types of visualizations and really high quality ones that I decided that that was something I wanted to focus on.
1: Oh, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions for you is, you know, how has learning R um, affected your practice?
2: Yeah, well, I will say, so I only... I don't um, do it, it. It's affected me in that the only part of evaluation work I do now is on the um, communication end of things. So I I'll partner with um, other evaluators who are doing thing doing projects, and I'll help them to you know more effectively um, communicate their work, um, whether that's you know static visualizations, um, graphs. Uh, maps, which we can actually talk about. R is actually really powerful for mapping uh, or interactive visualizations as well. Um, you know, I'll build um, ways to, um, you know, for example, I'm working on a project that's looking at early learning resources in uh, a county in uh, here near Portland called Washington County. Um, and I'm building that entirely in R. So it's affected it in that um it's actually um it's it's made me specialize more um because I've realized that that's the biggest value that I can add to a project is being able to help um, communicate the results um, at the when when evaluators are at that point in their process
0: yeah, and there's been so much uh, emphasis recently in the field of evaluation about not just how do we collect our data and how do we make use of it, but then how do we share that how do we communicate with stakeholders how do we uh, recognize that you know a fifty-page report is not the be-all and end-all for even, you know, even a majority of our stakeholders. We need different ways of communicating. So, um, yeah, it sounds like R can be a, a really useful tool and um, any evaluators' uh, tool, particularly especially those who are really kind of being conscious about how what information are we presenting and how are we presenting it and to whom.
2: Definitely, and R. I mean, it's it's incredibly multi-purpose. So you know, I talked about. Of course you can make um you know static graphs. Um if you have I mean you the the thing with R because it's so widely used is you've almost certainly seen graphs produced in R, but you don't necessarily know it. I mean the BBC, The Guardian, New York Times, five thirty eight, um I'm sure folks up there in Canada are using um R to produce a lot of graphics that you see in the media.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: I thought people were using Tableau a lot for that. So there's some of that for sure. Um, and it, it, I mean, it depends, but for uh, for a lot of the really kind of like high quality um, static visualizations that you'd see in a newspaper, that type of thing, a lot of that um, is in R. Our... So for example, like the the BBC actually released recently a package called BB Plot that um Enables you if you want to um, make your figures look like they came from the BBC. Um, you can use that package, and it'll style them in a way that they um, look like BBC figures. I mean, obviously, that's not that useful for for most folks, but um, what it shows is that um, you know AR is used uh, really widely, um, and. B, there are ways to, to use it in a way that you can kind of ensure high quality. So if you think about you know, the work of people like Stephanie Evergreen and Anne Emery trying to focus on um, you know, high quality data visualization principles, um, you can actually incorporate those into your R code in a way that essentially forces people to um, produce uh, the types of visualizations that are actually going to be effective in terms of communicating.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. So one of the things that um, has attracted me to R and has kind of piqued my interest uh, in addition to the the free and open source nature of it um, has also just been how enthusiastic people are about it and <laughs> the very strong community that I've noticed uh, around it, especially, you know, watching people on Twitter. Um, and you mentioned like this is actually kind of a new development um the R the, or or has been changing the R community.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So, first of all, I will absolutely concur with you. People who use R are are incredibly passionate about it, which is funny to me. I mean, especially as an anthropologist and someone who kind of has only you know come to R in the last few years. I mean, my wife is always like, "You're that excited about R?" Like a data analysis <laughs> tool, um, but I am because it, believe it or not, it's actually, I actually find it really fun, um, to use, um, in, in terms of the community, it is incredibly supportive. And I, I've, I've written a bit about this. Um, I, I, actually didn't realize because I've come to the, you know, to R in the last several years, I figured, Hey, R has always been like this. Um, that's great. And I posted something on Twitter about that. And then that actually led to a really long thread where people were talking about how that has not always been the case. Um, And early on, you know how I mentioned before, there was sort of an attitude of like, well, if you can't figure the software out, there's something wrong with you, not with the software. Um, From what I understand early on, it was not at all friendly to, uh, to newcomers um, in the last few years, there have been a number of changes, um, and in particular, I'd highlight the, the work. Um, there's a group called R-Ladies, which is focused on um, the fact that even today, there is a, a majority of um, men who, who use R and in data science in general. Um, but they've really focused on um, trying to bring women and non-binary folks into the art community and have been incredibly successful. I mean, they have like hundreds of chapters throughout uh, the world in various cities. Um, And it's the thing that, that I think our ladies and and other folks who have really worked intentionally on making our, the art community supportive is that while, You know, initially, I think a lot of that effort was focused on bringing in folks who are underrepresented within the world of R um, into R. It's actually been a huge benefit for everybody. I mean, I am a straight white male, but I know that I have benefited from that because um, when I started learning R, I, because the community is so supportive, I was able to, uh, you know, ask questions and get tons of responses. I didn't have any of the um, you know, the, well, I initially I had some fear that people were going to kind of, kind of belittle me for app for not understanding things, but that's absolutely not been the case. Um, and there are tons of Twitter threads. I can, um, send a link to you if you're interested, that is about, Um, You know, people saying, hey, I'm thinking about learning R, should I do it? And the the R users just like glom onto that and post tons of responses with resources and encouragement. And it's it's just amazing. So I think that's, in a lot of ways, like the, the really the best reason to learn R is not just for the software itself, but also for the community.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it definitely sounds like it and uh yeah like with the the open source kind of approach itself um like you're talking about the 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 cost benefits that they're, that it's free basically the software and um how that's a um a benefit for i mean for nonprofit organizations or um for new consultants or anything like that where you can't afford to pay the hundreds of dollars for SPSS or SAS or any of those platforms. But uh, at the same time, the open source also allows for the ones who are developing the software don't need to make a business case for um, certain features or certain modules or certain approaches. Um, I'm just recalling, I think it was a coffee break webinar you did for AEA a couple months back about uh, one particular module for qualitative coding of gender. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So that's the, um, it's called the gender coder package. Um, and what it is, is it's a package. So, you know, if you think of kind of the typical way, um, you know, we as evaluators do surveys, um, the typical way that you would ask a question about gender would be to have it be multiple choice. So, you know, in the worst case, it would be, what is your gender male, female, other, um, you know, slightly better would be to, um, you know, add other categories to that multiple choice, but it's still multiple choice um, and it doesn't kind of leave open, um, you know, the option for people to identify however they identify. The gender coder package gets around that. What it, what it does is it enables you to ask um, gender questions in a completely open-ended way on a survey, and then it takes that data and um, it recodes it. Um, so at the very kind of simple level, you know, if someone types female and another person types women, it will, you know, recode those both into, um, female or woman, whichever one, um, you're, you're using. Um, but it also allows people who, um, identify as non-binary, um, different types of gender identities, uh, to express themselves. And then you, you can basically kind of set when you're doing your analysis, um, what, Like kind of how you want to um, recode those and then you run the code and it will, after the fact, you know, recode them into um, whatever categories you want to use in the end for your analysis. And that's the type of package that, uh, or or functionality that I just, I can't imagine ever existing in um, a non-open source piece of software because um, I don't think there's the business case to, you know, to develop something like that. Whereas for R, um, the, you know, there are people who are really passionate about using it, people who care a lot about issues like that. And so um, this was developed by Emily Coffey, I think is the last name. Um, and, you know, someone like that can just go off and, and make this software and then it's available for everyone to use. So I think that's an incredible benefit of R um, that, you know, it enables those types of packages to be developed and then enables, you know, folks like me or anyone else to use them.
1: I remember a couple of years ago, I was doing an intro to programming course at a a local tech um, university here in Vancouver. And when we got to, um, you know, defining different kinds of, of variables, the instructor was like, well, and for a binary variable here, the easiest example of that is, male and female there's only ever going to be two and I was just (laughs) like really it's 2017 and I'm right here (laughs) right (laughs) um and so yeah when I think about where where people are at in terms of like who who is programming and designing things who gets to be in the you know who gets hired into the roles to design the things who signs off on it yada yada like the the layers of people that decisions like that have to make it through exactly um for a piece of proprietary software versus the you know Open source, you know, if someone wants to create something, they can create it and put it out there. And if other people want to use it, they can use it. Mm -hmm. Um, That model, it's just such a different, um, like, just a different way of doing things. I even remember, like, I know with SPSS, um, my... Stats instructor was like, okay, so if you want to do MANOVAs, SPSS tried to remove this functionality, but there's a secret way to backdoor into it <laughs> using this syntax. <laughs> like, you end up with all these sort of workarounds and hacks anyway. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And who knows why SPSS decided that we didn't need to run MANOVAs anymore? I got, I don't know, <laughs> but you can't, you can't necessarily um, reprogram SPSS. Whereas something like R, you everyone can make it their own.
0: And any kind of data value data use for Excel is pretty much all one hack because it's not supposed right. to, I mean, it, you do calculations, but it's really not designed to be a statistical package at all.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, R is just incredible for um, the wide variety of functionality. I mean, I guess one other thing I would add. So in, I, I wrote an article recently about, uh, it was titled like, if you if you care about equity, use R. Um and, you know, I highlighted packages like Gender Coder, but one interesting thing was I, I um, posted on Twitter and I said, you know, it seems like R is really great It, it like because there are all these packages, um, you know, if you do care about um, issues of equity. And one person named um, Ted Ladaris, who's based here in Portland, um, said, I mean, yes, that's true that there are packages that have developed, um, but it's not just the fact that R is open source because there's plenty of open source software um, that, um, you know, doesn't have such a welcoming community and a community that cares about issues of equity, um, you know, and, you um, basically non non non-men don't feel welcome in it's it's the combination for R of it being open source and having that welcoming community and that community that does care about issues of equity that leads to packages like gender coder or um, you know there are also packages to ensure that when you uh, make visualizations they're colorblind friendly um, things like that and it it is that combination that that makes those packages um, come to life.
0: That's mm-hmm. no, really interesting, especially since yeah, equity issues are becoming, uh, I think, more more visible, more prevalent in uh, conversations and discussions in the evaluation field, especially. Just curious, do you, do you have any thoughts or and ideas as to why kind of ours uh, has that um, that kind of feel, that kind of community to it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think our ladies has been a huge part of it. Um they that group has has um played a huge role in terms of um encouraging more women and non-binary folks to to become our users. Um and so um they the stats now in terms of our users, um the the proportion I don't know what the, the numbers are off the top of my head, but the proportion of uh, women and non-binary folks who are our are, are users has really increased, um, and so you know I think that's played a huge role. I would also really highlight um, our, as I mentioned before, our studio, the organization. Um, Hadley Wickham is the kind of head of it. He's the most um, prolific R developer. He is the developer behind um, the type all of the. Tidyverse Packages, which is a, a collection of packages. Um, and he and, and our studio have played a huge role in encouraging uh, a, a wide variety of folks to get involved. Um, so I think it's just, it's um, the, yeah, the fact that there have been some really key people who have, have um, placed, you know, that the issues of equity as a high priority. I think that's been Key to the transition that ours made um, to to being that welcoming and, and more diverse community. The other thing, actually, one other thing I would add, just I'm thinking about it. Our our users come from a huge variety of backgrounds. Like I was, I had a call last week with an R user who uh, he does cancer research. You know, so completely different from anything I do. Um, And, you know, there are people, I mean, a lot of our users identify as data scientists, but there are also folks uh, in education who are using R, um, you know, biology. I mean, you name it, pretty much any field, there are users. And so I think um, whereas other kind of parts of the quote unquote tech world are people who come, you know, exclusively from computer science backgrounds, our users are kind of experts in their fields and then pick up R to enable them to, you know, do work in their fields. And so because of that, there isn't the kind of um, as much of the kind of macho attitude about, look, how you know great a programmer I am. People see <laughs> R more as like a tool to accomplish whatever their goals are. And so as a result, I think are um, more open to, you know, anyone else who, who uses R for whatever purpose, if that makes sense.
1: One of the things I noticed um, in uh, one of your blog posts that you've written, um, and we'll share all the links to all of these in our show notes, um, is you, you use it for descriptive statistics only, and, and that's okay. Is the name of one of your your blog posts? I think um, like this isn't um, this isn't necessarily about doing the most. Um, complex or or cutting edge um, types of of analyses or work or or pushing that edge of the work further. Um, although I notice you also talk about like statisticians using R and also using it mostly for descriptive statistics, those things that we're all familiar with. So yeah, it feels like it's this um, very accessible uh, tool, um, but not necessarily a space where people are trying to. Uh, compete with each other?
2: Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, um, yeah, it's absolutely true. I don't I don't do any inferential stats uh period. Um and, and not with R. I mean I, I can do them if you know someone puts a gun to my head, but um I, I think I mean it's funny that R, you know, a tool developed by statisticians and initially used almost exclusively by them. Um, has now become a tool that I think it has a huge um, applicability beyond just the, that group of folks. And some of the workflow stuff that I talked about before, are Markdown and being able to, um, you know, do reproducible reports. D- Dana Wanzer actually has a really nice uh, blog post talking about um, producing um, reports in in minutes for um, clients that she's worked with. Um, you know, that type of thing. Um, I think is makes it worth learning R you know even if and I'm putting that in quotes like even if you only do descriptive stats um, people actually ask me a lot they say hey you know my work isn't that complicated I, you know, I only do descriptive stats is it worth learning R and I think you know for all the reproducibility issues um, for if you want to produce like really interesting and high quality data visualization R is fantastic for that um for your own efficiency one because because once you learn how to um, how to code in R and you really only need um, you know you don't need to learn everything about it once you learn kind of the fundamentals um you can do analysis really really quickly. Um, and so I think in the end you know it's about more um, I mean R kind of have has an image problem that I think' is shedding now and I, I'm you know the, I part of my uh, task, I think, with R for the rest of us is to help it shed that that image of being just a tool for statisticians because it's really, at this point, so much more than that.
1: So when you're thinking about where R has come from, do you have any aspirations for where you'd like to see R go as as a community, as a tool, um, or, or some combination?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think, you know, trying to... Um, expand the universe of people who use R I think is a really important goal um, and there was actually a talk um, last year so studio puts on a conference every year um, and there was a talk uh, by Carl Howe who I think is like head of education or I forget what his exact title is head of education at studio, something like that and it was about kind of the next million R users and who are they going to be. Um, I think you know a big part Of expanding the universe of our users will be um, helping, you know, folks in evaluation or, you know, those types of folks, like people who um, need software to do quantitative analysis, but, you know, don't, aren't aren't like hardcore programmers, um, you know, don't have PhDs in statistics, basically people like me helping folks like us think about, R as an option, because I think it's it, um, there still is a bit of an, an image problem um, with people still thinking that it's, um, you know, really hard to learn, which it's hard, but I wouldn't but I, I don't think I wouldn't say it's like impossible to learn. Um, and thinking that, you know, R is only useful if you're doing really kind of high level, complicated statistical analysis. Um, I think getting beyond that is is important. I think some people who are R users now underestimate um, the the complexity of learning and getting to a point where you can use R. Um, I mean, as an example, like I was posting um, yesterday on Twitter about asking some folks, um, there's some folks that I'm working with right now that I am considering training to use um, what's called GitHub which for anyone who's not familiar is basically an online tool that enables you to um, work together with other people on code. And essentially um, it's like a kind of Google Drive or Dropbox uh, on steroids for the type of work that you do in R. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about working with some folks, but it's a little bit complex for them. They're just learning R as well Um, is, you know, what do people do in this case? And some of the answers I got were like, well, just teach them how to use GitHub. It's it's not that complicated. And I was like, yeah, that's not really true. Um, you know, <laughs> for for you, maybe, who have been using it for a while, it's not that complicated. Um, but for other people who are just starting out, it is. And I think the same thing comes up when people are learning are um, that, you know, things that more experienced users do really easily. I think we can forget um, how complicated it is when you're first starting out.
1: hmm I've got a question that's made, I don't know, maybe it's a dumb question, but I was just thinking about, you were talking about it as a workflow tool, and um, I'm just thinking about, you know, in evaluation, we mostly work in uh, mixed methods, which means that we're working with quantitative and qualitative data. So how does R help us with, you know, I see how, I've seen sort of it it produce things with um, quantitative data, but I'm curious about how does it work with the qualitative
2: yeah. Yeah. I've been asked that recently, several times. Um, so at this point, the options are a bit limited. Um, and I think this is a history, you know, comes out of the history of R being a tool developed by statisticians. Um, but that said, there is a package that's being developed right now. Um, a friend of mine is actually involved with its development. It's called QCoder and um, short for quick coder, I assume. Um and essentially it's intended to be um a replacement for tools like Atlas TI or vivo or MaxQDA. Um and it's a package, just like any other package. Um and it works within R and enables you to you know, code your qualitative data and do analysis on it. Um so I, I don't actually know the timeline for that when that's gonna be um you know ready for, for wider use. Um, But I think that has the potential to be really um, transformational in terms of what R can do. Um, There are also packages to do text analysis, um, but they tend to be based on more automated ways of doing text analysis, um, you know, qualitative analysis than what we in evaluation do. Um, So, I mean, there's a package called tidy text and it, for example, uh, is used so if you ever see you know like after uh here in the u.s there are the presidential or like democratic uh primary debates happening and so people will use packages uh like tidy text to do analysis of um they'll, they'll get all the tweets that people um post during the debates And they'll use it to do kind of like what's called sentiment analysis. So to look at, you know, to what degree are people posting positively about different candidates? Um, and that's done in a more automated way. Um, so that's your, your kind of other option at this point, which, you know, if you have a ton of qualitative data, I think can be a really interesting idea. I've never actually seen that in evaluation, but I'd be curious to see, um, someone try, um, so yeah, those are basically your two options at this point. Um, it, it at yeah, if you're looking for something right this moment, it is a bit limited.
0: This has been a great conversation so far. Um, before we continue on, uh, is there anything else you want to share about or want to talk about with regards to R as the software or R as
2: the community? Um, I don't think so. I mean, the one other I, I just you know made a bunch of notes before. Um, we actually kind of talked about it. So the, there's this issue. Um, I don't know if this, this probably didn't make it outside of the kind of our community. Um, but several months ago, um, it came to light that DataCamp, which is a website um, that ha- does online learning for a bunch of different um, programming languages, including R. Um, the CEO of uh Data Camp um had sexually assaulted one of the uh a, a former employee. And basically the company tried to cover it up. Um and it was actually incredible to see the R community really come together to speak out and, and act out against that. So there were, you know, wide condemnations. Um including it got to the point where data camp um, folks who had developed courses for data camp um, were actually posting on Twitter and writing articles saying, do not take my data camp course um, in spite of the fact that, you know, they would make money on it because um, they get a, a commission for courses sold on there. Um, that was a really, I mean, it was a horrible situation of course. And uh, um but it really, I think, demonstrated um, the, the power and the, the real um, the nature of the R community. Um, and it was really, I think, inspiring to see um, how folks came together to really support uh, the person who had been sexually assaulted and, and speak out against the company. And it was just kind of one more example of how um, incredible I think the R community is. I don't know if you want to include that. Um, It's a little bit extraneous, but um, I'll I'll leave it up to you as to whether that goes in or not.
1: Yeah. I think that's a real testament um, to where the community stands to have that kind of response versus what is often the response within communities um, to be at at best ambivalent, if not sort of outright hostile um, to people who raise issues like that. So um, that. In the context of of what else we're talking about around how the the community has come together and changed and developed, um, I think that's really fascinating the way that that's developing around what is yeah a stats tool, exactly. Um, but it speaks to how you know a stats tool is still quite integrated into a human context.
2: Exactly, and that's for me like a big part of why I want to be involved with this community because it's not only. That I like the the software, um, but I think the community is is incredible, and it's they support the types of things that I want to be involved with.
0: Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, at this point, it's usually when we ask uh, guests if they have anything they'd like to share or promote. And we know that David obviously has something uh, quite substantial to promote or share, which is the uh, online. uh, I'm not sure if it's a course or if a series of courses uh, called R for the rest of us. So could you just give us a bit of a description of of your offering there?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah. So I... With R for the Rest of Us, um offer several types of training. Um, so this fall, I'm traveling around to several cities. Um, I think by the time this airs, uh, I will be, or after this airs, I will be in New York, DC. Uh, I'll be doing actually a pre-conference workshop at AEA, um, which actually may be sold out at this point. I'm not entirely certain. Um, it was close to sold out when I heard last week. Um, and then in Vancouver uh, as well in December, doing in-person workshops, uh, introduction to R workshops or half-day um, events that kind of take people who have never used R and get them up to the point where you learn the fundamentals of R markdown, of uh, basic data wrangling and analysis in R and data visualization, and um, So that's happening this fall. Um, And then I also, I have, for folks who are not in those cities, I have uh, a couple online courses. I have one that's called Getting Started uh, with R, and that's entirely free. That'll just give you the basics in terms of what you need to to download, install, um, how you read in data, how you take a look at your data. um, So you can uh, sign up for that free. Um, And then the fundamentals of R course that I have as well um, which is a paid course that um, covers a lot of the same material uh, that we cover in the workshops. And then the last thing I'll, I'll mention is that I also um, have had the pleasure of working with entire organizations that want to transition um, from you a know, tool like SPSS to R. Um, and it's really fun for me because not only do I do kind of the initial training with them, but then you know get to work with them on um, specific projects that they're working on to help them think about incorporating our into their workflow, um, so I really enjoy doing that as well.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to participating in one of your December workshops here in Vancouver, um, and I we probably will all run across each other hopefully um, in Minneapolis at uh, the American Evaluation Association conference.
2: Great. Will you both be there?
1: Yep. Yes, we will. Awesome. Thank you so much, David, um, for coming and and sharing with us sort of. Um, about R, the tool, and also R, the community.
2: Yeah, thanks to both of you. And I hope, you know, I know, Caroline, when we first emailed, um, I know it's kind of funny to be like, R is this like cool software, but it's also, you know, like a, a really important tool, I think, or can be a really important tool, in, you know, if you care about equity. Like that's kind of a weird um, combination of things to tell people about. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on and um, and and share about that.
0: Great, yeah, thanks for for joining us today.
2: Great, thank you.
0: That's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on Pinecast, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going through our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at evalcafe, And if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast at gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for poppers and prosecco or intro theme, and dispersion relation or outro as well as to Tim at TabletopAudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro.